Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And this is our March Madness Special Edition, not because we're going to be talking about basketball for this entire podcast. Not at all. Though that would be my dream. My KU Jayhawks are still in the tournament. We're going to talk about that later today. I'm talking about a different kind of madness, the confirmation proceedings. It's a great entertainment to be able to watch these confirmation knockout rounds where the issue is can these senators knock out the Supreme Court nominee before this nominee gets to the high court. Chris and I will have a lot of opinions to share on this. We do. I'm going to call it a circus. Chris might have a different, he might call it the same thing for a different reason, but we will unpack that in just a minute. First, I got to tell you, this is puppy training day number 26. I just got to get it out there because Chris, I am insane. I thought you were my friend, but somehow you did not warn me from going down this path that I went down two months ago, and it has been a nightmare. We decided, my wife and I, to get two puppies. Chris, why? See, I wasn't in on the decision. I would have warned you if I was in on the decision. I, like our wonderful listeners, all found out at the same time via podcast. Wow. That is, uh, see, part of the problem is my wife did it, and I just went along with it. I was nodding. Actually, I, I like dogs, but we decided. I love dogs. You know what? Let's get a puppy. We, we both got a puppy. Actually, my son bought me for Christmas a leash, and he did it because he said, Dad, I know you huh? want a gold retriever. Here's the leash. Now you have to get a dog to use with this leash. All right, so that, that kind of makes sense. My wife said, let's go get a dog. But then the thought was, why not two? Hey, you know what? I guess things are better when you buy. Why not five? Hey, don't even start. Uh, if we have three more puppies this week, I am coming down to um, uh, Scottsdale or Arizona, and I'm uh, finding <laughs> you. But nonetheless, uh, we've got these two golden noodles. We're on day 26 of the second puppy, and it is a nightmare. Scout is down here in my studio right now helping me with this podcast. And, uh, yeah, if anyone has tips on how to potty train a puppy, I am all ears. She has not a clue. She is an idiot. Chris, puppies are just like having (laughs) newborns all over again. But at least I guess with puppies, I can put them in cages when I go to the store. I I think the neighbors frown upon putting my kids in cages. But I can put puppies. What do you mean it hurts? Oh, nobody belongs in the cage. Dogs, people, the whole nine yards. Oh, I tell you what. No, my dogs love their Rolls Royce accommodations. And so my wife today decided, I have no idea why she did this. She got in the cage with the dogs. First of all, Chris. What do you have, like a three-bedroom apartment that's a cage? Exactly. That was my point there. It's way too big of a That is one nice cage. Is that, we have a whatever five-bedroom house, we should be able to list it as a six bedrooms now because this dog cage that could actually house my mm-hmm. wife and the dog. But nonetheless, she just did it. To, maybe she did to get away from Scout, the other puppy. I don't know. Yeah, we, there you go. We are in mayhem out here as we're trying to train these puppies. So I like doing this podcast because I'm down in my studio away from the madness that is upstairs uh, even though scout is down here oh, with I get me that. now but we hey, we separate scout from the other puppy uh, which uh, the other puppy's name is zoe and so we are all good as long as they are separate and in separate rooms all right let's let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit of law before we get into basketball i got the march of madness on right now i'm watching oh. arizona play houston and then duke and texas tech but i'm going to keep my focus on 
our podcast. So let's start with, we're here to cover the world of legal news. And so I know our listeners depend upon us every week to bring the current state of the legal affairs, hopefully with a comedic twist. That's why we brought you on here, Chris. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by Comedian of Laws. We provide uh, continuing legal education classes that educate and entertain. You see how I got that in there, Chris? Just perfect segue. I love it. Yeah, I gotta give a shout out to to the people that are paying the bills and funding this podcast. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, if you are a lawyer in need of CLA classes, check out our website, comedianoflaw.com. We have all kinds of classes. We have a comedic review of the law. We have we have a, a webinar on how to be funny. Chris, maybe I should have you on nice. to that webinar to provide some expert Ooh. advice on it. Uh, but it's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. If you are in need of CLEs, check out our website. All right, back to legal news. Brittany Griner is your star yeah. basketball player there from Phoenix. Uh, she is in Russia. We've been talking about her case for a couple of weeks now. She was detained, arrested at a Russian airport for having, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but some kind of vaping cartridge that I believe allegedly had some marijuana oil in it. So she was detained and we were all worried. Like how come we don't know about this? She's been detained, arrested for a couple of months. Is it the war? Is Putin trying to make some kind of statement, but you got some information as to what possibly is going on. Chris, bring us the latest on the Brittany Griner situation. Yeah, we're, I mean, here in Arizona, we're following it pretty closely because Brittany is such a local star here. We can talk about WNBA not being as popular, but Mercury games are super fun. We love going to them here. So we've been very concerned. Essentially, um, what my understanding is, is that Brittany and her wife and Brittany's family have sort of made a plea to not have this be televised too much they don't want to bring a lot of attention to it because getting it publicized means that putin has to be big in the international community so it's their preference from what i've read in a couple locals and and uh read um on a couple nationals is that they're trying to just allow the state department and their back channels to secretly get britney out and just they don't want to they don't want britney to be the hill that putin dies on when it comes to right. his power over the west that that makes sense and i i did read and that's smart that's super smart yeah i, th- I think i've seen something happen here in the united states where a celebrity gets busted for a crime that chris you and i right. know if this person were busted for this certain crime whatever it is and they were not a celebrity right. It gets run through the system. If it's the first time, there right. might be a diversion offered. Uh, whatever. There might be some leniency if it's the first time. That can't happen when all the public's eyes are on the process. If the public, if it's a celebrity, exactly. then the DA is thinking, oh, wait a second here. If I'm light and easy on this, the public's going to know about it. It's going to look bad. I want to look tough. And so, yeah, it kind of handcuffs right. them and they have to bring the hammer on that celebrity. So you're telling me that Brittany Griner right. was to avoid that scenario with Putin. So this became an international. Which makes sense. It, it does. It makes total sense. I got to, I was worried, but I did hear that the someone right. from the U.S. embassy there in Russia 
did reach out and actually talked to Brittany Griner this last week. So there has right. been contact. She is alive, but as you said, they want to keep this on the lowdown just so that they right. can not have that celebrity uh, stigma or, or handicap to that situation. All right. Well, we'll continue exactly. following that. And maybe you might have your basketball player back before the WNBA season kicks off again. Uh, but mm-hmm. all right. Next up, the Supreme Court was in the session this last week. They heard, I believe, about five or six cases. Chris, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> This last week at the Supreme Court surprised me at how boring the cases are. Oh, man. Let me, let me just tell you what I noticed, all right, because I, I follow Supreme Court news. I went to the main source for Supreme Court cases. Well, actually, hold on a second. I went to, first of all, I went to CNN. I went to Fox News. Okay. I went to MSNBC. Okay. I go to all these different publications and websites just to scouring to find out what are the legal news out there. No articles right. on the Supreme Court. Zero on nothing. The, nothing. So then I go to SCOTUS blog, which is my go-to site for what is happening at the Supreme Court. Do you know what I it's found? It's a balanced site. It, it's a good site. Nothing. I mean, it's SCOTUS blog. All they cover right. is the Supreme Court. Do you know how many articles? Except art- this week. Yeah. One article on one case. That's it. One, what, yeah. What's going nothing. on here? Well, two things are going on. The first thing that's going on is these cases are that boring. Now, if you are, if you have right. family members or you are, you, you litigate in this area, you might find you might not find these cases boring. The fir- let me just do a rundown of these cases and just see if any of these entice you. All right, Morgan v. Sundance. This is a this. I'm is already a- asleep. <laughs> this is, hold I'm, on. I'm, this is an arbitration <laughs> case, and the issue is in arbitration. If one party waives it. Is is that okay to waive the arbitration arbitration requirement, or does it have to be waiver plus prejudice? Now you can wake up. I know you slept right through that explanation. Yeah, who? Sorry, what what day is it? Yeah, who cares? Sorry, right? Sorry, you lost me there for a minute. <laughs> who cares? All right, so that's an arbitration waiver. You got to add prejudice. That is case number one. Case number two actually is somewhat interesting. I did find one article on this. Mm-hmm. This is Burger v. North Carolina Conference of the NAACP. The issue here is a voting ID law, but the merits of the law, not an issue. This is another one of those cases where right. someone else, Procedural. a legislator, wanted to intervene to defend this law because they thought that the, the current lawyers, which would be the state's AG, which is a political body, a political position, right. they thought that person was not doing a good job defending the law. Though one of the justices did point out that they actually had won below, but that's a whole nother issue. Uh, but yeah, they were winning mm-hmm. the case. But the issue there is when can some other party intervene when they don't like how the AG is defending the law? So you might be just quasi sleeping on that one. Is that is that register on your interest meter at all? It does because then it gets into this realm of okay, let's say we pass any law and the AG goes. Yeah, that's a that's a fine law. That's constitutionally sound. And some special interest group goes, no, we don't like that. And now they're going to sue on behalf of the AG. It's a political system, right? If you, you know, vote, 
vote them out if you don't like how they're prosecuting things. I just I get a little worried when now we're allowing special interest groups to start acting in lieu of government actors. Okay, well that's my concern. All right, well first of all, um, now just to make me clarify, the interveners here were actually the uh, the senators and the representatives, the the top senators and representatives uh, in that state. So again, not the AG's office, but they were the people who passed right. the law, and they did not think that the state's AG was doing a good job defending the law. That's probably I think bogus. I think what they're really saying here right. is we want the limelight. We want to be involved in defending this right. law to score some political points. Because I think it does bring up an interesting issue. If you are a lawyer right. and the state's AG is the state's lawyer, you have right. an ethical obligation to defend your client's interest here. And so the state's AG, even if it's a Democrat or Republican, has an ethical mm -hmm. obligation to defend their client's interest. And if a law has been passed, they got to defend that law. But here's the problem. What if that person thinks the law is really bad? Should they defend a bad law? And are there different levels of badness? Let's say it's a law on taxation that they might not like. Okay, well, even if you don't like it, you still should defend the law. But what if it's, and I'm going to go really out there. I'm going to just go clear right. to, the, uh, to the horrible extremes. What horrible. if it's a concentration camp kind of law, right? Where right. if you were to follow this and follow the rules, you would be held liable for war crimes, which we talked about last right. week. Do you defend that law when it's clearly so bad? Right. Now, obviously, it's a horrible example. You would say that would never happen in America, but it just kind of makes the point somewhere along <laughs> the line. Exactly. It has, it has in our history. Uh, somewhere along it the has. line, you would say, no, I'm not going to defend this law. So that being said, do you have Well, I also think that's that's the basic separation of powers. Right. The the legislative branch makes the law. The judicial branch interprets the law and the executive branch enforces the law. So the judicial branch is made up of arguably the Supreme Courts and the lawyers that argue in front of the Supreme Court. Right. And we and, and we embody attorney generals with certain constitutional powers, whether it's a state constitution or on the federal level to make those decisions. So I don't know. Right. It's, it's going to be interesting how, how it comes out. I I never. And I mean never, and you can quote me on this, I never want to trust a senator on what is constitutional or not. <laughs> you think they not might have a little, a little bit of a political agenda involved there? I would agree. Maybe. I want to get real. Well, I've worked with the legislator, legislature here in Arizona, and I've worked in the, the majority party and the minority party. Majority party here is Republican. Minority party here is Democrat. Both of them put out bills all the time that are blatantly unconstitutional, stripping the governor of power, stripping the Democrats of power, stripping the Republicans of power. And I mean, these are extreme bills, but they advance them to the floor and they vote on them like somehow they're going to become law. And it's all to 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 energize their base to say, look, I'm in the legislature doing this for you. And it's absolute crap. All right. Well, we'll be following this case because this is the third case in the last couple of terms involving yeah. intervention where someone wants to intervene to defend a law when they don't think the proper state entity is doing a good job. And so it's kind of interesting right. that the Supreme Court is taking up the Supreme Court's taking up a lot of these cases. So that one has a little bit of your interest. This next one yep. probably should, 
is just wasn't talked about. Golan v. S-A-A-D-A. And the issue in Golan was when a... When under the Hague Convention, when a child has been abducted mm-hmm. and removed from a country, you have to return that child to the country of habitual residence. Now, there's an exception, right. and that is if to return that child to that original, you know, habitual uh, country, it would put the child in grave danger. All right. Well, then the issue before the Supreme Court is: Well, what if? protective measures could be put in place to prevent that grave danger. That's something that the courts should consider. So that is the case before the Supreme Court. Again, got no public press this last week. Yeah. All right, this last, these last two cases I'm going to combine into one, and this will really bore you. This is ZF Automotive v. Luxshare and Alex Partners v. Fund for Protection of Investors' Rights. Both these cases dealt with when can the United States courts be used for discovery purposes for an international private commercial arbitral tribunal. So I, that's very boring. I'm not going to repeat it. Let's just move on from that. Those are the cases before the U.S. Supreme Court this last week. And Chris, there is a reason why the press wasn't covering these cases. And that is because of the circus. Those are my words. I know you might share that word, though I'm sure we're going to have totally different rationales for why why Mm -hmm. we're calling the confirmation hearings a complete and utter circus. But before we get there, uh, Judge uh, Kentanji Brown-Jackson has been nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court. And you know I had a problem with what President Biden said during his presidential campaign. I, I have a problem with this. So I don't know why I have a problem with this. I'm just gonna lay it out there, the the stats, and I'm gonna let you unpack these stats. Are you ready for these stats? Right. So you, sure. you remember that presidential candidate, Joseph Biden said, I am gonna nominate a black female as the next Supreme Court mm-hmm. justice. Do you remember that? All right. Yes, I do. He said, we need to have representation at the Supreme Court for those particular people. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you are the female and, and you are African-American, you should have representation at the Supreme Court level. It's high time we have that. Now, I have a problem with identity politics like that, and I'm not sure I understand why I have a problem with it. But let me give you some stats I looked up. Number one. There is not. Do you know how many Hispanic males there are on the current U.S. Supreme Court? Hispanic males, none. Zero. All right. Do you know how many Asians we have on the U.S. Supreme Court? None. Zero. All right. Where's the outcry for those? Now let me give you the stats. Hispanics make up eighteen point seven percent of our population. Zero representation on the U.S. Supreme Court. Asians make up Mm -hmm. 5.9% of our population, zero representation on the Supreme Court. Blacks, African-Americans, they make up 12.1% of our population. Do you know what percentage Mm -hmm. they had on our U.S. Supreme Court? 11. Let me do do the math for you. One divided by nine is 11%. So they were only down 1% in representation for that that, Mm -hmm. that ethnic uh, racial group. So where is the outcry for the Hispanic males and the Asians? It's coming. Don't worry. But but it wasn't mentioned. That wasn't a campaign issue. Why was it? If you were an Asian or if you were Hispanic male, wouldn't you be thinking, Mm -hmm. what about us? Why don't we deserve representation? We are far less represented on the Supreme Court 
than than African Americans. The Hispanic males getting Hispanics, eighteen point seven percent of the population, and they don't have a single person on the Supreme Court Hispanic male. Uh, same thing when it comes to Asians, zero. When they make up five point nine percent. So, can you help shed some light on me as to why I just I'm struggling with this concept of identity politics? I, I Joel, I honestly don't know why you struggle with this idea of identity politics. I. I mean, we've talked about it several times, and at the end of the day, you're trying to justify, you feel that, or at least it is perceived by me that you feel that somehow Biden needs to justify to white males in America why he's choosing a black female over some other racial minority. Hispanic males and Asians is who he needs to talk to. He doesn't need to talk to them because they're not having the outcry that you and other people are having. I've heard it. I, I've read how I found out about that information. It's like, that is the, the, the problem is, is when you engage identity politics, I think you're pandering for right. votes and you, you are not trying to say we want equal representation mm -hmm. or else you would have been speaking out on behalf of Hispanic males and Asians as well. Uh, you just simply picked well, one group that helps you get votes. Well, that's one way to look at it. Or you could look at it at the fact that it's historically, underrepresented people are being appointed to higher and higher positions within our government just because he didn't make a promise to appoint a Asian male to the court doesn't mean that he's not working in some other capacity to help elevate the status of an Asian community. Or you can, I mean, if you want to look at this in a specific silo, you can get up in arms about it all you want. But at the end of the day, progress is one step forward at a time and right now progress is putting a black female on the supreme court all right you might be right i still in my gut i fear that it is being done to pander to get votes when you aren't really speaking out on behalf of the other uh groups that have historically been marginalized at the what, u.s supreme court that's what kavanaugh and Amy Comey Barrett were both appointed justices to pander to Trump's base and the revitalize their base. That's the only reason they were appointed. They are way less qualified than Justice Brown, but yet Trump put them for Trump put Brett Kavanaugh forward so he could have a fight in the media. The only reason why he put him forward because there was plenty of other justices or plenty of other people that could have sailed through uh, confirmation hearing, but he chose the one guy that he know would be a fight and be a circus. All right. So, and then he chose Amy Comey Barrett, who has very, you know, she's the least qualified of all the justices sitting up there. Now, and he chose her because she's a woman. Why would you so say she's the, the least qualified? Why, are you saying you have to be Ivy League trained? Why would she no, be the I'm least saying qualified? She has four years. She has four years of judicial experience. Four. All right. I mean, if you're looking at just stats, I mean, Kavanaugh has a bunch of years. Gorsuch had a bunch of years. Um, Clarence Thomas had a few years, even when he was the head of EEOC. Um, you know, Keegan was solicitor general and worked with the Supreme Court and clerked. Amy Comey Barrett didn't clerk for a Supreme Court justice, but that's not a delimiting factor. I mean, she had she has four years total of judicial experience. I wonder she how had, long Kagan. Uh, I remember Kagan was Harvard's uh, dean for a long time, and yep. uh, she was also solicitor general she could not have been a sitting judge for that long no but she actually i think she had actually less than comey barrett but barrett also had no other real she's been in the law for a grand total of 10 years two of which were 
her, her four of which were her basic judge and one of which, so for the past five years of her 10 years of being in law, has been as a judicial officer, and one of that's been on the Supreme Court. Keegan had almost 20 years of, of legal experience. Um, Justice Brown, who's about to be appointed, had 30 years. Sotomayor, the same. Uh, Gorsuch, the same. John Roberts, the same. Right. So if we're looking at credentialing, it's it's hard to say that Trump's picks weren't well, for I, the same purposes. Well, I think e- each of these picks that um, we had mentioned here, I think are highly qualified to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, you and I both went to law school. We know those students right. that are at the top of the class and those that shouldn't even be fixing tickets. We, we kind of recognize right. that. And I would think that 100% of these justices we've all talked about are eminently qualified as far as they are intelligent human beings and they know how to analyze law. So I I will get that. I I will concede Mm -hmm. that. So here, the next thought I want us to analyze is I believe these confirmation proceedings are a farce. They are a circus. And so here's a question I want to throw by you. Is it time... Or, or, or do you believe that, uh, actually, let me find my question here. Do you believe that the confirmation proceedings are broke? Agree or disagree? Agree. All right. So, why well, hey, we are on the same page there. Right. Now, why do you say they're broke? Because I agree they're because broke. Because they're no longer, they're no, well, they're not a confirmation hearing. I agree. The, the Justice uh, Jackson's going to be on the court, whether where conservatives like it or liberals love it. it she's going to be on the court because the votes are in pocket. I will the, agree with you that, that she is going to be on the court. Uh, I, I think that um, you know, the votes are there. And I think that Biden won the presidency. Elections matter. He should be able to appoint right. this Supreme Court justice. I, I have no problems with that. My problem is I think these confirmation proceedings are a farce. And here is my reason why. You can't ask the justice about how they're going to do their job. Chris, in what other area out there can you apply for a job and when asked how do you plan to do it, say, no, I'm not going to answer that question. you got to hire me and then just wait and see. Now, I have a theory as to why that is the, the the norm now. But nonetheless, what do you think? This is called the Ginsburg rule. Ginsburg came up with this idea. She did it after the borking process. She did not want to be subject to the borking procedure. So she said, you know what? I don't think it's appropriate. Actually, let me give you her exact quote. She said, a judge is sworn to decide impartially, can offer no forecast, no hints for that would show not only disregard for the specifics of the particular case, it would display disdain for the entire judicial process so she Mm -hmm. and almost all of the justices since then actually take that back all of the justices since then have used that ginsburg rule to say i'm not going to answer your question as to how i'm going to do the job chris i just think that's that's just insane i i would think it is insane if we don't have the counterpart to that which is Stupid senators asking stupid questions that have no judicial proceeding whatsoever. Right? Senators and it's both parties. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and claim that somehow the Democrats are this shining light of not asking stupid questions, because we are. But they're not asking and, and this is where I think it's a circus. They're asking questions so they can get reelected. Yes. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz in the entire um is a baby racist. 
going through that book. That has nothing to do with whether Judge Jackson is going to be an fair and impartial judge. Absolutely nothing. But he wanted to talk about critical race theory at the Supreme Court hearing. When Kavanaugh was going on, they wanted his calendar, right? Well, what did you do with PJ and Squig? That has absolutely nothing to do. His If he has an alcohol problem, which he doesn't, nothing to do. Nothing to do. Stop asking these like campaign slogan questions of someone who is far superior in intelligence. And I do mean that Brett Kavanaugh is far superior in intelligence to a lot of the sitting democratic just the senators and judge Jackson, justice Jackson is far superior in intelligence to a lot of the sitting senators right now. Stop asking questions like, you know, do you think that, um, a baby can be racist or they're, they're doing, and you saw it with Durbin and, Crews beating each other up yesterday. Or, or how about like, this question? All they want to do is fight it out. Or, or how about this question? What do you think about boofing? Did I say that right? That they asked Kavanaugh like during high school. Why did you put that in your yearbook? I mean, come on, give right. me a break. Who can, well, get over it. I, I hear. I, I like that you mentioned these uh, insane, asinine statements that are made by senators. Here is the reality. And let me give you a little bit of context. Now, I'm talking about the recent confirmation proceedings. They're, they're actually, if you historically look at it, from the founding of our country, right, up right, from right, about right. 1900, they're very contentious. You might not realize this, uh, Chris. I did some research, but George Washington, one of his nominations was actually rejected. It wasn't a foregone conclusion yeah. if you nominated someone that they would be confirmed. But then there was a stretch of about 100 years where almost everyone was confirmed without too much uh, commotion. All right, but then what right. happened? So I'm talking about the recent confirmation drama. That all started, this, this 70 to 100 year run of basically no issues whatsoever was broken, I'm going to say, around Robert Bork. There might have been one that happened before right. that. But here's my point. What was the intervening cause? C-SPAN. Because C-SPAN now carries these confirmation proceedings as live television, well, this gives these senators this chance to, to have the microphone. They have the public listening to them, and they're all running for re-election. They just love the limelight. And so I think the introduction of C-SPAN and covering these hearings live led to the downfall of the, the uh, confirmation proceedings. And it's led to such crazy questions like, what do you think about boofing or what do you think about some kind of book that was used in your preschool? Uh, any thoughts on the right. C-SPAN influence? I, you know, I've been very open about the fact that I like transparency and I think that it's important for us to see how the sausage is made as citizens. Um, and I think that it, this has become a point. It, 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 I don't like it. Right. I don't like senators getting up there and, and using this time when we should be educating people on how this process works and turning it into more ignorant comments. And so I think it, it it's hard. I It's a complicated issue, and I want to say we should do away with C-SPAN, but I also want to say we should be seeing how our government works. And for every, I don't know, maybe we should have like a buzzer for every time that they lie, or real-time right, fact-checking right. on, on, on stuff like that, or, you know, some I don't know something to make it less. It's it's sick. We're lawyers, and it sickens me to watch this yeah. because this is not what the Constitution is about. This is not what our country is for. Like for every 
every butt of the joke that America is everywhere else in the world, when you try to justify it, all they have to be like is turn on C-SPAN. Right, right, right. And you're like, I can't, I can't fight with that because our elected officials are stupid. And they're saying stupid things so they can be reelected to keep their power. And as if we want to be taken seriously in the world, we need to quit acting like dumbasses. All right. So that is the confirmation. Sorry for the swearing. That is the confirmation proceedings. I We both agree that right. it is a circus, though for different reasons. I don't know how to fix it. I do think the pontificating by the senators is a problem. And, and because of that, these Supreme Court justices, they're smart. They know how the game is played. They saw right. what happened to Bork, and they said, well, that's not going to happen to us. So as long as we don't actually answer any of the questions, we should be fine and good to go. And so that's what happens. They won't answer any of the most basic, obvious questions because they know you're going to spin it the wrong way. They're going to use it for their, exactly. their political campaigns or whatever. And so they refuse right. to play along. And so I'm saying, I don't know. I guess I guess you can't right. stop it. It's in the Constitution. It's just pointless. Right. Uh, and I cannot. I guess I cannot fault them for doing the Ginsburg rule. Though I do say, Chris, if, if you are an employer, and let's just say you're hiring for someone to be your assistant, all right? You, you work there for Arizona State University. Let's say you need to right. hire someone to come in there and be your, your paralegal. And let's say it's me, and I apply for the job, and you say, Joel, how would you handle this part of the job? And if I were to say, you know what, Chris, you just have to hire me and find out. Right. I'm guessing I'm not getting that job. I mean, maybe I would right. because I'm funny enough and you like me. I don't know, but, but you get the idea. Right. Nowhere else will that would that work where someone who's applying for a job could say, I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to do my job. And that's considered somewhat sufficient of an answer. All right. And I think the, but I think the flip side of that's true. If I go into an interview and the person that I'm, interviewing with asks me a bunch of unrelated stupid questions that shows that they have no clue how the job works like why would i answer their questions I, but, we'll see what happens but that that's the, the whole point of this is that they are the ones seeing if you are fit to hold the job they want to know how you plan to do the job fit to hold the, and they right but that's the, that's the whole process and you might i agree they're senators but that is constitutionally right. they're the ones that have this hearing to flush right. this out they can ask you how do you plan to do the job but they will they're not they refuse to answer i don't like the, the ginsburg right. rule and i hope that it actually changes and that senators didn't respect that and we actually have a learned discussion over the rule of law i would like that i would like for her that to would say, require senators to be learned i would like for her to be able to say you know what just like justice Breyer, i believe the constitution is a living breathing document it changes over time it means something different today than i met yesterday you gotta apply it according to current norms and conditions because that is a judicial philosophy i don't agree with that judicial philosophy at all mm -hmm. times but it is a judicial philosophy and i do like Breyer. i respect Breyer. just say that that's how you go into your job and we we know you have an opinion about these various matters, go ahead and say oh, yeah. what your opinion is and how you intend to rule. Uh, but nonetheless, right. uh, hey, one other item before we get to the March Madness, the other March Madness, and that is Clarence Thomas is in yes. the hospital. Chris, I don't know. Thoughts where, and prayers. I don't know Thoughts where I want prayers. to go with this because I can go so many different places. Have you seen right. the Pelican Brief? I <laughs> right. I'm not going to lie. That was the first thing that did come to mind. 
I mean, come on. The COVID 100% is first out, thing that came to mind. COVID is out there everywhere. Uh, people are dying from it. Also, he comes down with an infection. Infections are no right. laughing matter. Uh, I have I had a no. cousin who passed away from the bird flu, right. uh, and obviously COVID. Everyone knows about. If you have uh, some, um, oh, what is it called? More comorbidities, and you get COVID, it could be your 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 death knell. It's a very right. serious thing. So you hear about someone very. with an infection in the hospital. It means you something worry. totally different now than it meant, uh, you know, five years ago. I just got to wonder. I don't know. But nonetheless, wait and see on this one. We'll just wait and see. Right. He's in the hospital apparently still, not back in, uh, at court. And we'll have to, I can't wait to see him back in the court because he actually is my favorite justice right now on the U.S. Supreme Court. Currently. You might not realize this, yep. or maybe you do because you're an astute Supreme Court observer. Do you know Clarence Thomas, who he roots for collegiately? I believe that is Nebraska. Nebraska Cornhuskers. That is right. Nebraska Cornhuskers. So, hey, you know what? Yep. Go Big Red. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, get well soon. Yep. All right. It is mm -hmm. now time for courtroom quarterback. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Chris, we got to come up with a different name for this uh, because courtroom quarterback, and I'm going to talk about basketball. Now, have you been watching March Madness? Some of it. Okay. Not not a ton. All right. Are you watching it right now? I am watching. Duke is playing Texas Tech. Very close game, and Arizona is getting whipped by Houston, oh. though they can still come back. But nonetheless, here is, I, I love March Madness. It is my favorite yeah. sporting event of the entire year. I don't even care hey. who's playing. I'm a big KU Jayhawks fan no. when it comes to basketball. But I, I love... That's the, great. Yeah, the, 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 the intensity, the fact that for many of these players, this is their very last game. But there has been a lot of uh, unpleasant responses, a lot of complaints this year about yeah. bad officiating. So, Chris, let me just throw this oh, out course. there as a thought. Does bad officiating hinder your enjoyment of watching a sport, or do you just consider that part of the allure of the sport? That, yeah, they're humans. They might make mistakes. So be it. you got to overcome that. And if it's just a bad mistake that decides a game, so what? We're still going to enjoy the sport. How do you handle bad yeah. officiating? Man, I hate it. I absolutely. I don't think it's part of the sport. I don't think bad officiating is part of the sport. I think if you're bad at your job, you shouldn't have a job. Okay. Um, going back to my argument about senators, just putting that out there. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I was a fan. Uh, so I grew up uh, north of San Francisco, north of Sacramento. I was a Sacramento Kings fan all in the '90s and early early 2000s because that's the hometown team, and I watched playoff series after playoff series being dashed because of bad calls for the Lakers. All right, and I've all right. watched and I've watched giants baseball where bad calls have cost the giants the game. That's it, it's not winning to me when you win on a bad call, right? If you go out and blow out my team all day long and it's 11 three and that's the baseball game, man, good, good on you. You beat us hard. You whooped us up. But if you win the game on a check swing of an umpire that wasn't even looking at the plate when the swing happened, that's BS. That's robbing the fans of a good game, especially if it's close. So does that hinder right? your enjoyment? Ninth, Can you, oh. Does that hurt your ability? It does. Okay. It does. It hurts my enjoyment when refs are out there make substantially bad calls. It just ruins it. Cause there's, 
it's no longer fun to watch another team win a game based on the fact that they're they're winning via penalty yards or penalty minutes now, or whatever. Now you're much younger than me. Let, let me tell you a story about right. a game I went to. I believe it's 1997. It might have been 1998. Right. It was the Missouri Tigers versus the Colorado Buffaloes. They were both in the Big Eight, and my brother went to okay. the University of Missouri, was in the bands. I went there to watch that game. It was at the end of the game, and I'm there in the crowd, and Missouri was up. Colorado was the number one team in the nation, and Colorado was about to score as time was running out, and on fourth down, it was like fourth and goal, they spiked the ball. All right, you, you understand what I'm saying? On fourth down, they spiked the ball to stop the clock. There is no fifth down, right? When it comes to to a football, right. the, the officials gave them a fifth down. They they could not count the downs. They gave them five downs. Oh my god! And they scored the touchdown on the fifth what down. What the heck? Go ahead and Google it. You'll read about it. Whatever you Google, the fifth down touchdown. Do you realize that year? So Colorado won that game. That was the last play. Colorado then went on to win the national championship all because of that <laughs> blown call. So in a one way, it's frustrating, right? Everyone there in the fans, I knew it was fifth down. My wife there, Wendy, knew that was fifth down. We're all look, looking at each other going, wait, hold on. That was a fourth right. down. They just spiked the ball. They don't get another down. Uh, they did, and they won that game, and they won the national title because of it. So should you allow bad officiating to hinder your enjoyment? I don't know, because there's, there's just so much bad officiating. I am afraid I would not be able to watch sports if it hindered my enjoyment too much. But I agree with you. It is very discouraging. Right. Right. When I, I guess it's just like the McDonald's theory, right? You know McDonald's is going to screw up your order every time and you just kind of accept it. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. It's part of or the ice the cream game. machine's broke. Yeah, it's just part of going to McDonald's. All right. The second takeaway from March Madness is that the Big 12 is dominating. They are uh yes. they've only lost one game or, or one game during the first round, I think one game during the second round. They still have five teams I think left standing, maybe four teams. They are doing wonderful. The Big 10 is sucking wind. They only have one team left in this tournament as of the when this podcast is being aired because Michigan just yep. lost earlier today. So they yep, are doing horrible. Here's my takeaway from that. The Big 12 is dominating. The Big Ten is sucking wind. The SEC only has one team left. Chris, no one cares, right? I, I hate to say it. No <laughs> one cares about basketball. When we talk about conference realignment, it's all right. about football. football. No one cares yeah. about basketball when you're trying to get different universities to join your conference. The big money, right. the, the dominant big money, even for your crappy teams, is in football, and that's going to control conference realignment. But, hey, when it comes to basketball, right. the Big 12 is king. Any thoughts on that? No, it, it totally is. I mean, I'm look, I couldn't honestly, and this is, this is shame on me, right? Confession time. I'm looking at a bracket right now on my laptop. I couldn't tell you which – which division some of these teams are in. Right. That, like, I don't – Arkansas, is that Big Ten? S Maybe. SEC. Uh, SEC, South, Southeastern Conference, right? Yeah. So I'm looking down. Saint P Tell me what conference St. Peter's is in. <laughs> I looked it up, but I forget. But that's – they were a 15 seed. No one's going to know where they were, they were from. Right. right. Oh, they're going to know next year, and they're <laughs> right. going to know the year after that. Uh, but, you know, like Purdue, stuff like that. Uh, Indiana, Miami. 
I, who knows? Yeah. I, I don't, and I don't look at it that way. Right. Because there's the, the final four tournament is the final four tournament, regardless of division. Whereas yes. CFP, the, the college football playoffs is very division focused. Right. It is varied in it. So who cares? All right. Well, that's um, uh, I agree. No one cares about the dominant conferences in basketball. The money is not right. there. The money is in football, and that's why the SEC right. and the Big Ten are trying to hog all of the spots there. All right. One la- side note: um, Arizona only trails by two with 15 minutes left in the second half. Arizona can do it now. So, are you yep. rooting for Arizona or are you rooting for Houston? Because I know you work for-, for Arizona State University. Right and. And here's my thing about it. If Arizona Wildcats, the the natural beta predator to our apex predator of Arizona State University Sun Devils, if they win the tournament, it's good for the state of Arizona. Okay. It, it'll bring commerce to the state. It'll bring recognition to the state in a positive way. It'll be good for the state of Arizona if the Wildcats win. So I'm okay with that. And it will help your bracket. I believe you picked Arizona. Uh- I did pick Arizona to win. So hey, let's see if they. Um, now I I also take it. Houston. I I've, I've, I consider them part of the Big Twelve because the Big Twelve has joined with Houston. Okay. They're not a part of the conference yet. I think it's going to be a couple of years down the road. But you know we lost Texas right. and Oklahoma this last year. We added to it UCF, Houston, BYU, and one other school. I'm thinking it is Cincinnati. Yeah, it definitely is Cincinnati. All right. Okay. Yeah. L- lastly, here uh, I want to talk about one other issue during our courtroom quarterback segment. And this one, Chris, I feel passionately about. Yes. What happened here this last week is the Kansas City Chiefs announced they had traded our star Hall of Fame and fastest man on the planet wide receiver slash running back Tyree Kill. Now, Chris, let me just tell you, the response from Kansas City is when we first heard this news, was utter despair. I went on my Facebook oh, and all course. my Kansas City friends on Facebook was talking about, what? Can you believe this? Why would we do this? We loved Tyree Kill. Within two hours, this was the response of Kansas Cityans. All right, not a bad deal. I, I think we can live with this, him being gone. And so somehow in those two hours, our mindset changed. And here's why. We realized, well, first of all, in, in uh, Andy Reid, we trust. But here's what we realized. You can't pay your star wide receiver the amount of money that he was commanding. Uh, Chris, you know how much money right. he was commanding? He was wanting Tyreek Hill? No. $30 million a year. Well, that's not bad. That, is that, is that, oh, is that, I know Arizona State <laughs> employees get paid well. But we do <laughs> not 30 million a year, though. Not that happening. No, no, no. Here's the problem with giving your star wide receivers 30 million dollar contracts, which, by the way, would have been the highest contract ever for a wide receiver mm-hmm. by 10%. I think the highest right now is 27 million. But here's a problem. Yep. And this is Andy Reid is big on this football. You operate with a salary cap, which means yes, you- if you pay one player that yes, much money, do. which would have been over 10% of the cap, you're already paying Patrick Mahomes 20% of the cap. He's getting paid $45 million. Now you're going to pay him $30 million. Uh, that's only two players. You, you need another 50 players on your team. Who else are you going to get when you are paying only those two players all of that money? And what makes matters worse is... 
one of your players might get injured. So now you have all your money going to one person and that person can't even play. To make matters even worse, this is why we think this is a good deal, is when you are talking about a receiver or a running back, their lifespan, their window of being a stud in the NFL is a very short window, especially for Tyree Kill. Yes. Tyree Kill is otherworldly because of his speed, but he is approaching 30 years of age with this uh, with his contract. He's, he's 28 now, will be 29 after next season. So right. you slow down. And once he slows down, even a quarter of a step, that's enough. Game over. For defenders to catch over. up with you. Exactly. In the NFL, that is all the difference in the world. Now, instead of you being three yards ahead and wide open, now you're covered stride for stride. It makes all the difference in the world. Tyreek does not have size. He can't body up on someone. He just simply nope. has his speed. Well, you lose speed when you turn 30. And so, I hate to say it, I think the Chiefs made out like a bandit here by getting rid of Tyreek Hill. Any thoughts right. on that before I go on to my next uh, point? But I think it opens up a lot of room for the Chiefs to develop, right? Mahomes is going to – hes I think Mahomes is entering into another era of his career. He's no longer – you know, he's been in for, what, four years now? A little over four years? Right. And so I think he needs to be able to start developing a wide receiver that can be a franchise receiver for six, seven, eight years, and it'll be good for them because they got a grip. They got a bunch for Tyreek Hill. So I think it'd be good to build around Mahomes – and and his and that type of offense. Yes. Now, um, uh, Tyreek Hill was injured several games over the last couple of years, and Patrick Mahomes right. still did really well during those games. He did. And so, yeah, maybe he did. Maybe it's time because here's the you know, quarterback. Everything I just said about your your of uh, your skill positions, like your speed positions, your wide receiver, your running back, that does not apply to quarterback. Quarterbacks are a different breed in the NFL because yep. they can't be hit. They don't have to be otherworldly fast. They just have to make fast decisions. They have to be very quick thinking, a quick processing unit to make quick decisions, to get the ball out of your hands, but you don't have to actually be fast. I mean, uh, there's a reason why Tom Brady is still an amazing quarterback at the age of 45, uh, and it's not because of his speed right. or his strength. Is because the rules don't allow him to be hit, and he can still make quick decisions. All right, let me give you this statistic right here. I, I did a little bit of research. Did you realize that in the, in the recent era of the NFL, let's go back to, to 2000, no quarterback okay. has won the Super Bowl who has also been in the top five earners at the quarterback position. Does that surprise oh, wow. you? No quarterback Not, has won no. the Super Bowl and been one of the top five paid quarterbacks in the league. Is that amazing? Well, I, I like that because then it tells you the power even more of Tom Brady taking lesser pay so that way he can build up talent around exactly. him. Right? So I think that's that's a that's one of those nice little pushes for like, hey, teamwork is important here. You need fifteen guys to run aside. Yeah. You can't do it by yourself. You can't catch your own passes. If you demand all that money, that right. means you don't have the same similar talent around you. Again, there's a salary cap in the NFL. If you get the lion's share of the money, that means you don't have as good of players right. around you. Uh, so let me give you some statistics here. Now, the I, I did a little bit of analysis. The average amount 
uh, of cap percentage that a quarterback in, in the Super Bowl, the, the, the average cap percentage is about 8%. Only three quarterbacks have been over the 10% threshold. I'm talking about their right. salary, the percentage of their salary to the salary cap. And those three quarterbacks are Brady and two Mannings. That's it. Both of them were about 10 okay. to 12%. Did you, did you catch that? 10%. Yep. So that these quarterbacks, Manning and Brady, their salary was about 10% to 12% of the entire team's salary cap. Yep. That, that. is the, the, the history of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. All right, let me throw you out there some numbers for next year's quarterbacks just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Aaron Rodgers, the highest paid quarterback in the NFL right now. Salary, $50 million. Do you know what percentage that is of the salary cap? No, I can't do math that fast this late at night. 24%. 24%. That's okay. over double the, the right. next highest right, right. Super Bowl winner. Aaron Rodgers, who is, who's going to be blocking for you? Who's going to be catching your passes? You're making too much Nobody. money. Number two, Nobody. Deshaun Watson, $46 million, 22%. Patrick yeah. Mahomes coming at number three, 45 million, 21%. Josh Allen, right. 43 million. Matt Stafford, interestingly enough, Matt Stafford just won the Super Bowl last year. You might be thinking he's an exception. No, Detroit carried 19 million of his salary last year on their salary cap hit. It would did right. not count against the Rams last year. This next year right. will be different. 40 million against the salary cap. Uh, you got you to go all the way down to 15th. The 15th highest paid quarterback this next year is Thomas Brady at 25 million. And that will be 12% of the salary cap. And so it'll be interesting to see this next year. Do one of these high paid quarterbacks, can they actually break through this threshold and win the Super Bowl? Do they have enough talent around them to win the Super Bowl? It's very interesting food for thought. Any thoughts on the quarterbacks taking up too much of this uh, salary cap pie? Yeah. I think that's shown over the years. Tom Brady has had unteenth number of Super Bowls more than any of those other guys, and I think it shows. It's it, This is one of the few things in the world where it's actually a pie and there's a finite number. Right. And unless you – like, if your goal is to win championships, then your goal can't be to be the highest paid guy in the, in the ring. And I think that's why Aaron Rodgers is smart in this, and you could quote me as that. His goal isn't to win championships. His goal is to make as much money as humanly yes. possible. He doesn't give a crap about Super Bowl rings. He gives a crap about how many Super Bowl rings he can buy off of other people. <laughs> that's exactly right. Same is true it's, with Tyree Kill. I, I, I gotta, right. I gotta say, I am not that heartbroken that Tyree Kill, after I thought about it, has left right. the Chiefs. Do you remember these? Or Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah, right. Deshaun Watson making $46 million. Do you remember Tyree Kill? These two plays where he was running into the end zone, and before he got into the end zone, he turned to the defender and did some kind of peace sign, or he stopped and did a backflip into the end zone. Do Something you, like that, yeah. Yeah. Why would he do that? He's taunting the the opponents. That is a, a penalty. It should have been a flag. If nothing else, it's showing that he doesn't care about the end result. He cares about expanding his brand. That meant that his right. goal was to get paid the most money that he possibly could be paid. Well, good for him. I mean, he did become the highest paid winning uh, or highest paid wide receiver in the history of the NFL. 
I just wonder how many more, you know, how much more winning he will do. So let me just give you one last question here, one last food for thought, and then we'll call this podcast a a wrap here today. Who do you think will fare better next year? Do you think Patrick Mahomes will be exposed for not having Tyreek Hill in his stable of wide receivers to throw to? Is he now going to be some kind of mediocre quarterback? Or do you think Tua, the quarterback for the Dolphins, will be exposed because now he is going to have Tyreek Hill on his team? If he can't hit a wide-open Tyreek Hill, is he now going to be exposed? Which quarterback do you think has more pressure on him this next year with Tyreek Hill? Tua. 100% Tua. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is already locked into his contract, so he's good. Patrick Mahomes could say, hey, look, I'm a great player, but I'm developing these other quarterbacks, or I'm developing these other you know, wide receivers, and we're developing our offense. Our guy got traded away. If Tua can't hit Tyreek Hill, Tua can't hit the broadside of a barn. Right, right. And so... And that's going to, yeah, that's all on. That mounts even more pressure on Tua for, for this upcoming season. I think he could be out of the NFL after next year. If for he sure. does not do a, a fantastic job next year, you know how fast Tyree Kill is. You saw that Patrick Mahomes right. could hit him. I do wonder how right. frustrated. I could hit him. Yeah, I wonder how frustrated Tyree Kill is going to get. Because Patrick Mahomes was deadly accurate with the deep ball. He would hit he would hit Hill right, right there in the hands. Uh, and so, you know, it was, they were a perfect match for each other. I do think that both of them are going to suffer a little bit without the other person. That being said, Tyreek Hill wanted to make the money. So, hey, kudos to you. Go make your money. Uh, I can't fault him right, for that. Right, it's a business. Right, yeah. It's I a mean, business. Come on, I wouldn't have turned down extra. The Chiefs were offering $20 right. million a year. He got paid $30 million a year. You know, your window of earnings. There's 10 million a right. year. Yeah, right. I, I, I would take the money, but nonetheless, um, right. uh, there you go. That is, hey, that's a wrap for this week. A great conversations. Have a great week, uh, Chris, and let's go watch some March Madness and see if Arizona can come back for this win. Thoughts and prayers, man. Thoughts and prayers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.